starting in three, two, one. Hi, I'm Marcy. And I'm Akko. Uh, yes, Akko. And welcome mm. to the Colorpatious <laughs> Book Club. Everyone's like, yes, you're co-host anyway um <laughs> yes welcome to the color pages of the club a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on fiction fantasy and magical realism written by writers from colorful backgrounds yes the most colorful the one would say the pen ultimate of color <laughs> would they they might <laughs> if they thought about it <laughs> <laughs> this this they of course is left intentionally vague yes. um you know we just really want to spice it up for the girls it's actually know, a so. stylistic choice so right <laughs> it's like i don't use commas like i just i've just opted out of that you know what i mean right. so every yeah. period is a semicolon so right <laughs> it's just a giant fucking run-on sentence <laughs> um Yes, absolutely, indeed. And today, everyone, we are going to be reading my pick and also our final pick before the Summer Short series. Um, so we're going to be reading a book called Fierce Femmes and Notorious Liars by Kai Chang Tom. And it's a banger, y'all, not for nothing. Yeah, like good. I am hyped to talk about this shit. It's going to be <laughs> so sickening. So just to provide some context on the author. So Kai Cheng Tom is a noted essayist on transformative... <clears throat> let me get my list voice ready. <clears throat> transformative justice, radical love, Ooh. sexuality, gender, and mental health, among other issues, and is a regular contributor to several online publications. Ooh. Now, she has published four books. That's right. Not one, not two, not three, but four. Mm-hmm. Four, indeed. Five minus one, four books. <laughs> including the novel that we're going to be reading today, Fierce Femmes and Notorious Liars, a dangerous trans girl's confabulous memoir, which was published in 2016, a poetry collection titled A Place Called No Homeland, which was published in 2017, a children's book From the Stars in the Sky to the Fish in the Sea, also published in 2017, and finally, a book of essays centered on transformative justice called A Hope We Choose Love, A Trans Girl's Notes from the End of the World, which was published in 2019. So... Her work has been fu- has been featured in BuzzFeed, Them Magazine, and Everyday Feminism. She is currently on she's currently an advice columnist at Daily Extra, where she answers questions about surviving and thriving in the face of global turmoil. And Ask Kai advice for the apocalypse. So, I mean, I mean, I, I just feel like the resume speaks for itself. Like, mm-hmm. like I mean, like clock the resume. Like, I mean, I just don't. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, just, I mean are there words to say? Do I, Marcy, a random bitch on the internet? Do I have anything to add? No. Like, I mean, it just speaks. It speaks for itself. <laughs> yeah, she, she does a lot. She does a lot, and it's all very thoughtful and intentional work, which is really amazing. Also, I love this advice for the apocalypse. Like, I feel like that's such a catchy kind of tongue-in-cheek but yet also desperately needed yes but also very accurate um (laughs) (laughs) description so um i love it it. yeah and so and this book has been great i think we've really enjoyed reading it so far um speaking of things that are great marcy i Mm -hmm. have (laughs) a question (laughs) uh yes what is your question friend Yes. So this book kind of does this really cool thing where the author uses magical realism to describe 
her life. So it's a memoir, but it's mm, fantasticized or magicalized or none of those words were real. But I <laughs> love it <laughs> um, because I think it, it's it's still an extension of sort of talking to the feeling or the meaning of something as opposed to just the, um, I guess, what we would say is like the actualness of it. But, but that's like not real, right? The actualness of something is far more nuanced than just this event happened in a linear order, which is, I feel like that's something we try to nuance <laughs> mm-hmm. but listeners are like yeah along with like your word epistemology like that's all you ever do is talk about nuance and such <laughs> and you're not wrong but here's the question mm-hmm. how do you romanticize your life why do you do it and when do you not do it and why or maybe you never do it maybe you're like me and you never name your car or your guitar or you know your stuffed animals except for like categorically what they are so you just called your dog stuffed animal doggy and your car car <laughs> <laughs> lack any creative <laughs> ambitions um yeah so that's the question <laughs> how do i romanticize my life if applicable and if applicable <laughs> when do i do it okay <laughs> i love this breakdown let's, let's, um i mean the answer is like absolutely yes i feel like oh this is a good question mm. um i feel like where it comes out the most isn't like how i tell stories about my mm. life i feel like there's a there's a variety of different voices that i use to kind of just like I guess summarize certain types of people or to just like kind of add some spice or a little bit of exaggeration into like a situation going on. I feel like something that I think both of us do actually is that like when we're telling stories, like I really make my like my internal dialogue or like the character's internal dialogue, like very much (laughs) part of the story. And everyone's like, Mm. did all those thoughts happen? Like, I'm not really sure. Like, like for example, if I was just like, yes, you know, I went to the store and I just like really didn't know what I was getting. And like, I don't know, like I was just, I was just sitting at the counter for like 30 minutes. And like the person was like, bitch, are you really just going to, so you're really just going to sit here. So you're just going to waste my fucking time for 30 minutes. Like all of that, none none of that happened. None of that was said. I was not there for 30 minutes. Like, you know, like, it's, like it's, it's very much giving that. And so I feel like I often exaggerate and like there's a certain um, just go to personalities that I'll give both to myself or like to other people to kind of just to create a sense of like urgency or to sort of emphasize the mm. level of like social awkwardness or like kind of almost dramatize the social faux pas that probably in nature actually was <laughs> really innocuous and really not that serious. But like, you know, it's just it's just more funny to like tell it as like a bigger rendition, even if in the moment I I myself wasn't even that pressed, but it's just like funny to retell it that way i I don't know i feel like i do that a lot like i kind of like there's a little bit of animation i like to add to um stories that i tell that's um very much animating sort of non-human things like i'll give an internal dialogue Mm. to like my dog when i'm telling stories i mean shit we i I, what, what what episode was it it was um Master Jim, one of them. We were talking about you were it was like a word that we were trying to say. And the word was linear, but like we we both couldn't think of the word. And we were and I was like, child linear just outside running in the bushes, just climbing trees, hiding from us. It's like the word linear was doing none of that. You know, like it's just like like I I feel like I there's a certain animatedness that I like to add to things. And I find that that's like it's really interesting answering this question because I've never actually said this out loud, but like very succinctly it was like, Oh yeah, this is something I do all the time. And I'm like, mm. huh, really interesting how those words just kind of came to you just like really quick but um what was i talking about anyway yes so i feel like that's very much where the animation and the romanticization kind of comes in and aside Mm. from that 
<laughs> I feel like that's kind of the main go-to for myself. But I'm just thinking about like just like everyday items in my space. Like, do I name like my car that doesn't exist or like my favorite shirt or something like that? And I'm like, no. Um, it's just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, for the most part, it's just sort of like what it is, I guess. But um, yeah, I feel like very much how I narrate my life is where a lot of the like romanticization, fantasy, weird elements kind of come in and it's just like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Even the way I like talk sometimes, like when I listen to my voice, I'm like, I feel like I'm like, I'm uh, like, am I like reading like a fairy tale? Like, what is this voice that I'm like using most of the time? You know, like, just, <laughs> I, I feel like there's a certain cadence. Anyway, that is me hopefully answering your question, but um, would love any thoughts and to also hear what your thoughts are on this. No, I think so. I think everything you said is very correct. Um, I know that everyone who listens to any story you've ever told is mesmerized because I'm mesmerized. I've known Marcy for a long time and I'm still mesmerized by their storytelling. <laughs> Stop. Like, oh my God. Oh, my. Like, oh thank you for it. <laughs> of course. So I, and I feel like, so even when we first met, like that was kind of, I feel like the way you tell stories is in a way that really brings people into the narrative, but also, mm makes it magical is is like the best word i can think of i wish i could think of another one but you're you're like all of a sudden you're just like it's 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 not a whirlwind it's like um you're like it's like you opened up a book a storybook and you're like oh and you're like mm-hmm. walking through the pages and marcy's like and then this thing happened and you're, you're almost like watching marcy just do things um <laughs> <laughs> But then I remember, I remember there's this this quintessential moment in our friendship when actually this was the moment I realized Marcy might not be making up any of the the points in the story. I accompanied Marcy on an adventure. Um, <laughs> before this, I lived like I I was a, I was a very like I love imagination and adventure, but my life was quite you know. It was quite regular, regular. And then we went mm-hmm. on this adventure, which I thought would only, you know, I thought, well, we'll walk there to the location. We'll turn in a paper, which was the objective. And then the story will mm-hmm. end because there is no other right. need for the story to continue. That is not what happened, y'all. Like, we were running <laughs> through the rain. We had this paper. The doors were locked. We had to run back into the city. <laughs> and somehow, had to go on yellow pages and look at people's address. Oh, my like, God. Yes, we had to do it. Show a, up. Like, just there was like, a whole <laughs> research side mission. Then we finally, we get to the location. All of a sudden, we're going up through this elevator and to this, like, rich person's, like, fancy chateau. And in this moment, I was like, this morning started with me sitting in my dorm. And the only reason I'm on this adventure is because I have a printer. That's the only, and I have a printer and I signed up for it. Like, that's the only reason I'm now in a Chateau Skyrise talking to this rich professor about his deep intellectual thoughts while we eat, like, prosciutto cheese and spinach beans. Right. <laughs> And so, and I don't know the story. I don't know the story would be as fun if I did it with someone else. I, I don't know. So, mm-hmm. but I do know the way Marcy lives as well as the way they tell stories combined in a way that's very wondrous. I, I, I don't think it's completely divorced from the way you live through the world. And I, I think that's the mm-hmm. point I was kind of trying to make is, is there's, 
there's a very thin line. Okay, don't don't take this to extremes, people. But there is a thin line mm-hmm. between what the imagination and the reality of what's happening, right? And and mm-hmm. we aren't in each other's consciousnesses. So the color of and, and and the color of which paints the reality that we live in is subjective, and you don't always have access to. Mm-hmm. Which I think is why storytelling is beautiful, right? You get this you get to know the consciousness of someone else and the way they tell the story is this is the truth in a way because it is the way it's Mm. painted and maybe that's why lying is such a dangerous thing right anyway it's a distortion in a way anyway okay so how Mm. (laughs) how do i um or maybe lying's fine i don't know maybe distorting is another type of magic okay whatever that's not the point back to this question so is lying the truth you know um i'm bullshit (laughs) i was i'm just girl i'm just saying shit anyway um (laughs) now that that is uh i didn't read the assignment like oh sitting in class oh what do you think but have we considered that the premise is a lie <laughs> and that maybe in that lie we it reveals the truth and everyone's like yo and i'm like i mean i just feel like if y'all really read that text like that would just be an obvious takeaway but whatever i guess i'm the only one that read it um gaslighting the shit out of everybody right <laughs> goes back to yes. like writing in their notebook <laughs> right (laughs) (laughs) eating cheetos with an undeserved sense of accomplishment it's like you're crunching way too loud for a bitch that literally only read two chapters that's really interesting um and the fact that you even showed up to this class is in itself uh, an act of bravery because my god like did you expect anything but humiliation what did you think was going to happen you literally did not do the prerequisite to showing up and now you're like damn this is uncomfortable girl anyway Anyway, um, oh, what's your answer to this question, Uncle? Right, fair. I don't know why I read myself to fill with impasse tense. Like that was interesting. Um, maybe something to unpack later. But um, I can't even. So I, I'm trying to take this to the direction it's supposed to go. <laughs> I feel like my storytelling is. A similar, but I feel like my use of deadpan is a bit and sort of throwaway mm. sentences is a bit more common. Like I will say something that's very serious or like very intense, and then I'll make it sound very flat. But then something mm-hmm. that's very minor is suddenly very important. <laughs> like, yes, yes. Like, racism was occurring and it was terrible and I was sad. But then also, my ice cream fell on the ground and it was a tragedy. <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, this, the question of why I romanticize, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a defense mechanism there, right? Mm. And maybe it's a way of pulling the power from the thing that try that I wish to that that wishes to de- demand authority and that I do not wish mm. to give it to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. I think I emphasize the other thing because that thing i don't care about <laughs> um mm-hmm. and and there's a magic in that too i think sometimes i also romanticize people people in my stories especially when i when i see how beautiful they are and maybe it's not so obvious from mm-hmm. it's not a big thing that makes people beautiful it's it's a, sometimes it's the, the way someone raises their eyebrows or the way they pause in a sentence Ooh. or the way they stride into a room you know oh my god i won't say the name of come on writer yes <laughs> what <are> these descriptions <laughs> but um do you remember there was a human who we won't 
name any further, who was in... I know exactly <laughs> who the fuck you are talking about on this here today. I'm not going to act like I do not. I know precisely. <laughs> Keep going. Yep. Everyone's like, ooh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Me and Marcy, we would uh, joke all the time about just the way they entered the classroom to the point that it was just mm-hmm. a running joke that um, and <laughs> between the two of us and... I think other people thought it was very serious. It wasn't it wasn't that serious. It was just specific mm-hmm. and it was the specificity was fun and 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 again, it, it wasn't unreal what was happening, right? It it was true. Mm. <laughs> Marcy and I walked like into class. Like this person class. was cool as shit. Yes. <laughs> like <laughs> truly. <laughs> when I walked into class late, it was definitely in a fury. <laughs> right. This person was that not flustered at all. But um and like you apologize to him for him showing up <laughs> really? late to class type of shit. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> how did this happen? But I think, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's just, it's just, it's it's not. It's more truthful in a way. I think there's a mm-hmm. way that stories are more truthful, and it's it's. I even think it's more loving mm. because I didn't just say, you know the grass is green and the sky was out. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to convey to you the whole, as much as I could, the different dimensions of this. You know, there's like um, that mm-hmm. poet who talks about the blade of grass, Walt, Walt Whitman. Sure. Could be. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> hmm. Could be. <laughs> That's a poet. Yeah. Correct. But he, yes. he talks, mm-hmm. <laughs> he talks about a blade of grass and he, you know, mm-hmm. he says like he could spend a whole lifetime trying to describe. It. Like, if I just say this blade of grass is green, like, do I really convey everything about the grass? I don't mm-hmm. think so. You know, and and I think that's what we're doing with experiences. But I could be wrong, and we're all just fanciful. But that's okay too, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love that. Like the like the impact of the feeling, like yeah. in telling the story, how do people feel? both the teller and the people hearing it or experiencing it. Like, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Uh, wow. And not to be mm. that person who just like throws in historical context, but like a little bit. I also feel like the, during the colonial process, there was a lot of like, if it's not, if it's not touchable, it's not, it's imaginary. It's like, it doesn't mm. affect anything. It is of less value, you know? And so, like, mm-hmm. okay, you tell a story, but is that what happened? And then there's this whole emphasis on the right. truth, but that's not what really happened. What truly happened? And if it didn't, mm. if you take, if you if you can't solidify or test the feeling, it, the feeling is irrelevant. And and I think we're feeling more and more how untrue that is. But I feel like so mm-hmm. many, so many paradigms. I'm going to say knowledge, look at that, not epistemology. <laughs> so many knowings mm-hmm. were kind of dismissed by mm-hmm. that. I think as we go on and see what it means for like emotions or a collective emotion to affect something, especially like the internet, you know, it becomes more clear to us that intangibleness deeply affects the reality of a situation don't take that too far y'all i don't want to hear about y'all doing stuff i don't not everything is real though <laughs> so, but, <laughs> so on that note <laughs> use your discretion on that note we're gonna take a break and when we come back we're gonna get into this very amazing wonderful novel fierce femmes notorious liars a dangerous trans girl's confabulous Fem. 
Yes. Oh, mm, cannot wait. See you on a bit. back Woo. great okay so let's get into fierce fems and notorious liars let's do it okay so boom so to start out the summary i guess i'll just kind of give a little little preface because there was a little prologue moment so just want to talk about that real quick so basically the protagonist who's sort of a kind of a stand-in for the author kai cheng tom starts off by just kind of reflecting on mainstream trans narratives by basically Mm. talking about an experience she had where she was watching TV and there was some kind of, it was like an interview or something going on where basically there was a white trans woman um, who was wearing this like glorious outfit and kind of just talking about like her transition. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because in both the interview and sort of just like in similar depictions, like there was kind of this narrative going on around how like trans women need to feel like sort of indebted to and aspire to just be like cis people like that basically Mm. cis people in this case cis women are sort of the blueprint of what gender actually is and sort of the depths that it can go so yeah so basically this idea that like you know cis people are sort of the blueprint of gender and what it should look like and she was kind of reflecting on Mm -hmm. can i also add i feel like not just cis but cis and white like almost which, mm. which would make sense because it's the patriarchy and, and not saying that the person the trans person has to be white but has to conform with western standards of patriarchal ideas of what femininity looks like it seemed you know what i mean that right. kind of seems yeah. to be the complexity of that i just wanted to add the intersectionality but sorry continue <laughs> Oh, no, absolutely. Like, there's definitely sort of a white femininity being lifted up above all else. And basically, you know, the the protagonist is talking about how she wants, like, stories about dangerous, angry trans women who basically refuse to take the crumbs that society gives them. Mm-hmm. It's like, fuck all of this. Um, I'm gonna be unapologetic, and I'm gonna get what's mine out in this world. <laughs> and so that was kind of the the preface that kind of led us into the narrative. So the book is like conveniently broken up into parts. So literally we did part, we read just part one and two for anyone that might be reading along. So part one starts with our transition sort of into the story itself. So basically the setting originally is a town called Gloom, which is basically a town that's like kind of on the water. It has like pretty like shitty weather most Mm. of the time. And historically it was like a pretty thriving community where various indigenous tribes lived upon until white people white people um so in retaliation to the needless violence the weather itself grew gloomy and sad over Mm. time and so our protagonist lives in an immigrant household with her two chinese parents as well as her sister and her parents are interesting because both of them kind of had dreams of like fame and some spiritual clarity i think Mm -hmm. her mother was a singer and i think her father was like a monk devoted to yeah wait, sorry what'd you say I, think, I believe it was a shaolin monk yeah yeah so very much aspiring for sort of fame and spiritual clarity but over time both kind of moved into a space of just being you know losing their passion and kind of it's sort of i guess absorbing some of the gloominess that's just sort of in gloom it may too. I, I, for a bit of cultural context it sounds like to me it's an immigrant narrative story of the what you were before you came and what the process of immigration 
did or didn't do um, to your dreams and your passions. I think there's that. Mm-hmm. There's definitely that underlying sentiment. Sorry, continue. I feel like yeah. it's just going to be me being like, well, also, let me throw in a tidbit. Continue, please. No, you're fine. You're <laughs> fine. So, yeah, so basically that's all that's like going on. And so essentially the protagonist, because apparently I'm just saying whatever the fuck. <laughs> so the protagonist's parent, you know, when raising the protagonist, you know, with her being assigned male at birth, sort of thought that she would have the best chances of, I guess, existing in the world, bringing together the most success, et cetera. But alas, despite, you know, sort of her parents rules and things like that the protagonist is like listen fuck all this fuck mm. all these rules i hate school like this is late like it's not it's not it also she she knew she was trans and just sort of wanted to live her life and 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 you know openly identify as such and and, and build also just like a trans femme community and so one day fast forwarding into the future this is when the protagonist is maybe like eh, like 17 18 there was a day where there were these mermaids who were in the ocean and the mermaids actually ended up getting beached now the mermaids in this book are sort of described as being kind of like big as shit like literally like (laughs) enormous and like there's like basically a bunch of people who are like we have to help the mermaids including the protagonist and her sister so they so the protagonist her sister they're both there so basically the protagonist tells her sister that yeah like you know like while we're trying to save these mermaids like yeah girl like i'm trying to leave mm-hmm. i'm trying to go to the city of smoke and light Ooh. um and really just find use that as a space to transition and kind of find sisterhood and be myself that's kind of that and this and the sister was like i mean that's like really cute you know that's like super it's very much not not cute but like not you leaving me by myself in fucking mm. gloom. You're just going to leave me in gloom. That don't even sound right. You're just going to leave me in gloom. Like, girl. <laughs> like, what? is gloomy. Is she, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it's a job. Right. <laughs> so she's like, she's like, yeah, I, I know, I know. And like, the sister's like, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> just, I'm, not, I'm, I just I'm, feel like there's like a sign when you come into the city. It's like, welcome to gloom. And it's just like thunderstorms and like rain clouds and like the person <laughs> <laughs> is frowning and someone else is just like turn around turn around sorry it's like it, it kind of reminds me of that episode of fairly odd parents where like um they used to run out the weather people out of town yeah and predicted bad weather you remember that episode where yes. timmy's mom became like the weather yeah okay <laughs> very much given that anyway i'm sure some people were like yeah and other people were like huh anyway <laughs> so basically the sister was like yeah like i'm supportive but like you know i'm just you know sad for myself i wish i could go with you and the protagonist mm-hmm. is like yeah girl mm-hmm, that's real anyway yeah you know i'm gonna leave but you know whatever <laughs> she's not so that at this point she's, they have a really strong hug yeah it, it, it was cute yeah. yeah so the mermaids eventually on the beach again sort of start um they start like singing and essentially kind of let the humans know through their song that like they're like girl y'all can y'all can hang it up like i know y'all are trying to save us like push push it back into the ocean but like it's too late like the damage y'all have done to this ocean is honestly irreparable and like truly i mean even if you even if ostensibly y'all push this back into the ocean i mean truly there's just so much wreckage like Mm. honestly like y'all kind of just fucked the whole thing up we're really just like a symptom of a much Much. bigger problem (laughs) um the community was like girls that's target mermaid and the mermaids are like okay you know what um (laughs) So anyway, so basically after that, there's like a, there's a couple <laughs> you of look vignettes. Like my <laughs> right, mermaids were like, you know what? <laughs> Whatever. This, y'all, y'all ain't ready. Clearly. So basically, before the protagonist goes on her journey, there's a couple of vignettes of her life. Hmm. Um, we see a short vignette about basically a bunch of. Um, there's a story where essentially the protagonist was like in bed and like a bunch of bees like flew into her house and like stung her. It's like. 
I'm pretty sure pretty sure it's a metaphor for sexual assault. Um, but it was kind of depicted in that in that way. It's really interesting that part too because she tells the story twice. They're both magical realism with the bees as a metaphor. But in the first one, they don't sting her. It's almost like she 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 goes into I don't. The, it's better to read the book because it's more beautifully described than I could give it justice. Mm-hmm. But then she says that's a lie and she tells this version, which is interesting because they both have fantastical elements, but she very mm-hmm. clearly, you know, denotes one as not truthful. But right. continue. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we sort of see that vignette and then from there, the protagonist is very much like, yep, going to the city of smoke and lights. Mm-hmm. We're doing it. It's happening. The rent is cheap and it's kind of a city where anybody can just be anything. So, while the protagonist is on the bus, she's, you know, just kind of reflecting on her journey. And she also reflects on some run-ins that she's had with this, like, basically with this horny ghost that's been making her orgasm, like, since late high school. <laughs> and basically, the way that the story goes is that, um, you know, the protagonist she used to go to the cemetery um, where basically... Because across the street from the cemetery, there was, like, a place that sold fried chicken. And sometimes, like, the lady who worked there would be like, oh, um, you remind me of my granddaughter or my daughter or somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, here's some free chicken. And she'd be like, ooh, wear it out. <laughs> so then from there, she would go to the cemetery and be like, oh, girl, I'm wearing out this chicken. This shit good as fuck. And then one day, there was a ghost that showed up and basically kind of, like, very consensually and carefully started to kind of explore her body. And it was sort of a place for, ter- for her to, like, find pleasure. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure the ghost thing is a, is sort of a response to trauma from sexual assault but like the way it was depicted was sort of a in a more kind of like i guess somewhat more lighthearted way mm-hmm. um so just kind of like reflecting on this and sort of like how this this ghost friend is kind of like a protector for her in, in, in different respects and actually comes up later at various points yeah and she's worried that she's leaving the ghost friend behind but then gets kind of the sense that probably not and it's kind of cute yeah, because I think the ghost like tapped her on the shoulder. She was like, "Not just still being here, like, <laughs> oh my god." Anyway, so um, ah. so yeah, so anyway, the bus stops <laughs> and they get to like a rest stop. Um, protagonist, she goes on a walk. She's like smoking a cigarette or something. And there's this like creepy ass man that's been Ugh. like staring at her for like hella long. It says she got on the bus and she was like, "Oh my god, girl, what is this about to give?" So he's following her and shit. He basically tries to like proposition her, starts like tries to grab her, and literally. She beat the brakes off that motherfucker. Yeah, she, she literally, I mean, within an inch of his life, like just beat his ass. And I was like, I, I'm gonna just slow clap over here in the corner. Mm. I am not mad at this at all. Um, and through that, we sort of see a uh, a um, a flashback where basically, um, growing up, the protagonist, um, her dad actually taught her a lot of martial arts, and so some like a, a bunch of different martial arts lessons. And so she like very much knows how to like defend herself and like you know is is in a situation where she's like the, you know even though that the, the learning of these martial arts like at times was very traumatic like the there is a utility that kind of affords her some protection in her life now so really interesting but basically she kind of ends part one with a caring letter to her sister and she also sends her like a like a like a like a butterfly or something her sister loves like taxidermy or something like <laughs> right basically that's how that ends anyway so that's like the end of part one i'll let Aku get into part one to part two and I'm, y'all are like girl what the fuck anyway <laughs> when she was like oh i sent you some butterflies for your collection i was like what and then she and then when i read the collection part i was like oh oh okay this is a, a two-person thing like they both understand this dead butterfly thing um so mm. 
Okay, part two. <laughs> Akko's not into butterflies, so that was... I freaked out for a second, but... Okay, so part <laughs> you're like, Akko, is that all this? And the butterfly thing is what freaks you out? I'm like, yes. <laughs> they licked the salt off your body. Have we... Cons- anyway, whatever. Okay, so the... Pro- Wait, they licked the cells off your body? Oh. The salt, yeah. They- anyway, that's not a problem. Whatever. Butterflies are fine. Okay, part two. The protagonist <laughs> arrives <laughs> in the city of smoke. Someone's writing down, like kryptonite equals superman butterflies equals okay um so the protagonist arrives in the city of smoke and lights where she immediately meets a trans woman named kamaya like immediately like got off the bus just ready yeah it was like she was like carrying her bag like she stepped down on the cement and kamaya was like oh good you're here you're late and she was like "Eh?" (laughs) um Which is beautiful and wonderful. So Kamaya has actually been in the city for 10 years and just just an extremely kind and caring person. Just really just, I don't know. She's just kind and caring and loving and beautiful. Mm. And so she started this nonprofit that helps trans girls. She just does that. They have space. They have resources. No funding from the government mm. because the government's the worst. But mm-hmm. Kamaya is doing a great job just bringing the community together on the street that they live on in the city of smoke and lights. So mm-hmm. she introduces her to all her friends and includes Rapunzel, a black woman with just gorgeous braids. They were like laced with gold. I think Rapunzel is also mm, yeah. dating Kamaya. Do I have that right? Am I wrong? She, Rapunzel is dating Kamaya. Okay, yes. perfect. And then Elena the witch, uh, Valeria the warrior, and Esperanza, who speaks Spanish and also just has like dope things to say. But is she the one who doesn't say a lot, but when she says it, it's really deep? Or maybe that's... Yeah. Yes. Okay. Wait, is that... Or that might be Valeria. Yeah. Well, I can't remember. Everyone involved is magical wise and has important things to say that's true so the protagonist is set up in like an apartment (laughs) like it is a space (laughs) and it has a futon and it has i mean she describes it as being quite awful but look the point is she loves it she loves it the point is that she's Mm. free she's free in this place that she loves and for her it's magical and um Mm. and she says this point that she's like only i can lock get in and out you know i have control of who has entrance and exit and that's Mm. really affirming and feels wonderful for her and it's very relatable so we learned that rapunzel and kamaya have this kind of beautiful love story where rapunzel moved to the city and she was just kind of the trauma had just from her life had just kind of taken its toll on her which is just true of Mm. so many people and she's sad and pain has just caused her to also want to hurt people she's kind of lost the glint in her eyes and she talks about you know escaping from abuse and then kind of becoming addicted to drugs and she points out like not everyone has this story but for me like taking drugs cause just the most serious of addictions and so it's called lost i don't know what the metaphor for lost is <laughs> in the real world but mm-hmm. it, that's what it's called in the story and so she started to lose her friends her work her you know her community and it was just like she was chasing you know something that she she couldn't quite find and one day she yeah. She took Lost at the club and she didn't recognize herself in the mirror and she starts to freak out and she saw her father and her father was one of the people who had just caused 
you know, abusive detriment to her life. So she runs out to the middle of the club floor and she's freaking out and everyone's kind of keeping their distance. And then just like under the strobing lights, you know, is Kamaya who walks up to her and she's she's changing forms. Like she just keeps changing and changing and changing and changing. And Kamaya just holds mm-hmm. her and through all of her changes and just keeps holding on. And, and Rapunzel's like, why did you hold on? all the way through until she became herself again. And, and Kamaya just says, you're worth holding on to. And, you know, like Akko was mm. crying and like maybe Marcy was crying and maybe like the book itself was crying and like the stars and the clouds <laughs> were crying, but like, I don't know who could say. So, <laughs> and then mm. there's a bunch of like, just kind of beautiful vignettes. And we see the protagonist coming out of her shell. There's a point where she gets into a fight with one of the, the trans girls who's like white and like doesn't who looks down on her. And so she basically fights her. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But but I say all that to say, because she has this great line where she's, she, you know, she's like, basically like, don't fuck with me. And she's like, I think everyone believed that I was like, sure. And confident and dangerous, except for me. Um, And it kind of gives us insight, I think into, into her character a little bit. So she, she also gets her first pair of heels and she's, I don't know. She's just strutting her stuff. She loves it. It's great. Um, and no one, she's, mm-hmm. what does someone say? Like heels are like your secret weapon. Like nothing can touch you. And that is right. very true. A pair of heels when you're walking, like I understand that the heights and the thin point may seem like a dangerous thing to walk in, but my God, sometimes a pair of heels will just make you feel like, well, <laughs> fight me. <laughs> Who could? Not mm. you. <laughs> um, they're Period. like stilts or something. Anyway, whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, so she gets her heels. They're sickening. She loves it. And then she also... (laughs) (laughs) Period. (laughs) Right, it's a great time. (laughs) Um, So she's having this conversation with Kamaya where Kamaya's... I think there... I think there's some type of event happening and Kamaya's making her a dress. And basically Mm -hmm. Kamaya's commenting on how she's passable or quote-unquote a fish, which is someone who, I guess, meets the standard of white patriarchal beauty more easily than, say, someone else. By the way, Kamaya, we should mention, is is black, I believe, and so is Rapunzel. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and that, you know, Kamaya kind of points about how this affords her a certain versatility to her life and a privilege that other girls do not have. And it's interesting because the protagonist kind of notes the glint in Kamaya's eyes that's different from her typical caring sort of kind spirit. And that's a very mm. interesting intersection that is, is probably worth talking about too. But, but anyway, so, and, and kind of the point she makes this point, like a bunch of people have been running to, to leave, you know, the street that she ran to, to, to find comfort in. Mm. And and what does that mean? She, she was like, some people can only live here. And that's, that feels like a cage for them where for her it feels like a freedom so anyway so we also see the protagonist start her medical transition which does not validate or invalidate her gender in any capacity whatsoever (laughs) just to clarify Mm -hmm. but (laughs) if you want breasts that's also perfectly acceptable (laughs) so Mm -hmm. she goes to get breast implants and the doctor is the worst i don't know how else to say it like extremely predatory and exploitative and uses sexual favors on a marginalized community that um he knows very little just Justice and attention is paid to to feed mm. some I don't know sense of power and authority because when you can choose love like why 
why do that when you can also choose hate, apparently, was his thinking. Right. Anyway, so that happened, and Marcy and Aka both just disapproved. So life in the city is basically, as all things, liberating, but complicated. Like, violence still exists, mm. and it's more visible, right? Like, so... By the way, the street is called the Street of Miracles. Um, So it's a safe haven, kind of. But also, we're talking about people who are forced into dangerous situations and society has very little care. So there's a point where one of the trans girls, Soraya, is murdered by a John. And the police do nothing Mm -hmm. because the police often do nothing (laughs) about violence Mm -hmm. towards femmes and other women. What? Akko's angry? What? Mm -hmm. Whatever. Anyway, so the femmes of the city (laughs) are like, what the hell (laughs) is happening? Mm -hmm. And everyone's just kind of like the community gathers and like they're like, what do we do? And some people are like, maybe we just turn to violence since nothing else is working and a few others Kamai mm. included are like okay what about civil civic participation like contact t- contacting the mayor protests etc and valeria is like they don't care <laughs> about us they don't care about right. our humanity so it's really hard for us to do this civic participation when you call and they're like I don't care about your opinion. <laughs> well, that's not very mm. helpful, is it? And so she's right. like, maybe the answer is to give them something to be scared of the way they're scaring us. Mm. So it's just a debate about vigilante justice, which I don't even know if it's vigilante versus systemic-based change, which if the system can't change, is it even a system? Is it even changing? Is everything an illusion? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so, fair enough. Yeah, in the end, uh, Valeria, the protagonist, Esperanza, and most others decide you know, we're, we're going to take this into our own hands. And Kamaya is disappointed, but understands. And, and there's, a, there's a point here, too, which I will get into the discussion section. It's not like taking it into your own hands produces a different result all the time. In fact, the system is very strong, y'all. So anyway, the part two ends with another letter to her sister, Charity. It's very cute. The little anecdotal letters are adorable. Um, mm-hmm. And she's like, don't fight, which is like hilariously hypocritical, which you have mentioned. So she's like, I know I used to fight. Right. <laughs> but her point was like, I fought so you wouldn't have to. So please don't. And she gives a story kind of about, about her father and an instance that happened. So anyway, so mm. then, you know, part three is to come in part two of our review. Okay, cool. So not reviews, our little, our little the book clubs. Okay, whatever. See you in the <laughs> Whatever we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye. (laughs) See you on a bit. And we're back. Woo. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I guess we can get into our discussion. So clearly i live for this book <laughs> i love it like oh my god spoiler like oh my god like plot twist like marcy loves this book yeah like of course <laughs> like i love this fucking book but let me be specific in why i love it so something that i love about just the narration is that it's just so mm. it's very conversational in a way that like i just really really appreciate like yeah. it's, i mean a lot of the scenes are just funny as hell it's like there's almost like kind of a a little bit of like an irreverent sort of tone. 
And it's just very, very earnest. Like there's a good mix of mm. sort of like vulnerability, but also just like a lot of earnestness in the protagonist talking about her journey. And, you know, I love, I love the community building aspect. I think especially, you know, this, 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 this part around building community that sort of really understands you and, and, and really lifts you up is something that I think is particularly salient in my life right now, like is a mm. theme that I'm very much aligning to. And so I think that for me, this is something that like that that just really spoke to me. Um, and I just feel like, I don't know, like her friends just sound fucking lit. Like yeah. Rapunzel, Kamaya, Valeria, like they all just sound like really lovely. And honestly, like I'm just like, this sounds like a good group of people. And mm-hmm. like, I love that the... I love that. I mean, the I mean, the book is itself sort of a memoir, so like it does kind of replicate real life in this sense. But like, I like the discussion around the complexity around you know visibility, right? And I think this is mm-hmm. a sort of a debate that uh, many people can probably relate to. But you know how being, for example, on the street of miracles, where you know the protagonist Kamai or Rapunzel, a lot of these fems are living. You know, it's like okay, like there's community here. Like we're very openly existing in public space and exist, you know together in community and that's something that's like really important and special to us and at the same time we are this is very much a visible hype like in could be sort of targeted space too right where like those who want to perpetuate this violence there is a known community of folks like us that live in this space right and so i think it, it speaks to the complexity of like you know the yeah like the 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 safe haven of a community but also you know the the reality that violence can also exist as well and it's not to say that like uh, to, to clarify it's not that like femmes trans women being in a space together in itself invites violence but it's just like f- fucking awful motherfuckers who want to like yeah, just do terrible things like will you right will utilize this space of community to to exploit for their own mm-hmm. like bigoted horrible yeah. objectives so I, I like that that's a kind of the that's a conversation that's coming up and also how, like, at the end, there is this battle of, like, what do we do when things like this mm. happen? Like, when you're in a group where, like, I mean, no one, like, people aren't really checking for us for real. Like, one of us can go missing, one of us can die, and, like, no one really gives a shit. Like, I mean, is this even catching headlines? Right. You know what I mean? And so it's, like, I understand Kamai being, like, listen, we just got to, like, organize. We got to go sort of the civic, partic- civic participation route we we can't stoop to their expectations of who they of, of who we are or of who they think mm. we are or whatever and i would say also too there's a little bit of respectability there i think that's also part of that yeah. as well and there's also a piece of you know valerian them being like but also i mean this sort of only going through sort of the official you know systemic channels like we're dying like it's like like we're literally dying so like there's no, there's there's an urgency that we just need to take control. Like, and if right. that means that we need to like shake some shit up, we just got to shake some shit up. And so like, I, mm-hmm. I fully, I love the nuance of the conversation. And also, I mean, just how it replicates real life, real life. I mean, trans women literally are there. Like this is a phenomenon, like are dying at like extremely alarming rates, especially black trans women, women trans women of color. And so it's just, it's one of those things where I think there's a, the urgency piece I think is really really salient and this is something that just i don't know reading the book i could very much feel that coming through um through the pages and and, and i feel like that was just the way it was put together was just really um salient. just really dope really mm-hmm. dope and very, very very much very salient for me but what about you Aka? what did you think yeah yeah i'm gonna put a pin in that because i want to come back to it um 
The first thing is that book is very good. Uh, <laughs> I sound like an auntie who like eats their like nieces or nephews like prepare a dish, and she's like, mm-hmm, "This is a very good dish. Good job. You have potential." <laughs> no, but that's not how I mean it. Um, it's a very very good book. It's well written. I I found it interesting. I listened to it. I listened to it. I didn't read it. Um, and it was so funny because I didn't know anything about it before I started, and I started to the the first second I was listening to the words, I was like this person's Canadian. <laughs> and that was such an interesting mm. phenomenon for me because we've read a couple of Canadian books now. And the tone is, is, is it's so funny because it's so similar to United States English. It's completely the same, mm. except underneath it is something, someone said that to me once. They're like, we always know if you're American because no one else calls it America except for you <laughs> because we're all in America <laughs> Canadians are in America Mexicans are in America true <laughs> like, right oh we're all in North America even anyway so but there so it's completely the same and it's similar even the connotation is the same between Canada and mm-hmm. the US which is not the same when we talk about British English but there's still some something different about the way Canadians speak in the sense that it's the same mm. tone but it's more honest it's honest in its sarcasm mm. and it's honest in its feelings and i feel americans are f- a little bit more confused about when we're lying and when we're telling the truth <laughs> um and when mm. we really feel something and when we're being facetious and and because of that it's harder for us to think pull off the book that she wrote with as genuinely as she wrote it and, and that's actually mm-hmm. a generalization because I actually don't think that applies to all people in America or mm-hmm. all groups of marginalized people either. But I just found that really interesting. Okay, so the mermaid thing. No, sorry, I'm giving my full thoughts right now. <laughs> and I love <laughs> the way she structured the book, the title of each chapter, the way there's kind of this point with her sister, this person who she mm-hmm. wants to keep in in touch with and who she's kind of gutted about leaving and and the way you can tell in a way that the story is this way because she's conveying it to someone kind of like the way marcy's stories change when they're conveying them to me or someone else you know it has that tone Mm. of a magicalness I, i guess i'm saying charity as the audience charity is her sister as the audience adds an extra layer it's not simply a telling for herself it's a telling in relation to to someone, someone who she feels protective and older than, you know? And so in some way, kind of like a bedtime story, a comfort, um, which is really adds another mm. element that's very beautiful. Um, yeah, I've, I, and you know, it's, so it's a memoir. So I love the book, but that doesn't matter. Kind of like Marcy said with Birdie, it's really not mine to love or not love, frankly. <laughs> I could hate the book and it wouldn't make a difference. It's, it's a memoir. <laughs> it's not fiction. Right. <laughs> I guess you could be like, stylistically, it fell flat, but like it didn't. So the context is whatever, you know. <laughs> um, and also, we're not, we don't review things. We just read them. So I, I love that. So to the point about the the debate, it, first, I, w- I want to point out, which is maybe not something people remember because the attention span of um, Americans is short, but George Floyd didn't get justice because um, the police were like, oh, we should probably do the right thing or the government or anyone. Mm-hmm. It's because a precinct was burnt down. Okay. That's mm-hmm. why that went to court. That's why 
there was a debate about it. Don't tell me there was another reason because there wasn't one. How do I know that? Because they lied on the police form. Nothing was going to happen otherwise. Zero things were going to change. I just think we underestimate or we overestimate, or maybe we romanticize incorrectly the amount of times civic engagement has caused the change to a particularly precarious situation. And I think this lie probably started with the civil rights movement when whiteness mm-hmm. decided to change a narrative. Let's be very clear. <laughs> America was in dispute. America had to rewrite its contract with the proletariat in the 1960s between the Vietnam War and the rights people asking for the rights and saying, very frankly, if we don't get it one way, we're going to get it another. So it's very cute mm-hmm. that we think civil processes have been what has caused change, but we need to be very real that power does not give up power unless forced to. And how you decide to use that strategic take that strategically is up to you but i think we need to be very acutely aware that the lie is not the truth (laughs) that the story Mm -hmm. that we weave is very different from what happened and does that now on the flip side (laughs) taking into your own hands does not mean things will change either especially as a marginalized group we know that (laughs) we know that and you know what might also happen your community might be devastated by PTSD. You might break up the very thing that you're trying to protect with love. The mm. government might retaliate so strongly with laws and, I don't know, other illegal methods, like maybe flooding drugs into your communities, imprisoning half, if not more, of your population. There mm. are, which might happen anyway, even if you do it the civic route, to be frank with you. But right, there are, right. So, yeah. Right. But the, the, there are pains both ways and the reason there is pain both ways is because it's not the marginalized people who are causing the violence even though that's how we try to make the story somehow it's black people's job to stop racism somehow it's trans people's job to stop violence against trans people that makes no sense (laughs) that makes no sense and also it's an impossibility i cannot make someone else consider my humanity that is outside of my control it is up to the person perpetuating violence to stop perpetuating it and that 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 evil falls squarely on the person who decides not to do that nobody else is responsible so i really liked the debate um and i can see both sides of it and to kamaya's point she does not have passing privilege so there's no point where she feels at least at this moment that she can go somewhere else or that she wants to. So if we do mm-hmm. this outside of the civic level, what if I lose mm-hmm. even the space that I've made that's helping mm-hmm. all these people? Here? What if we lose even that right. small thing? It, it's, a, it's an understandable fear. It's a genuine, and, and you know, there's a second point I have about Kamai, but Kamai has built this herself 10 years. You know, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What did she not have that she's giving to others? And what does right. what gets risked by what everyone's about to do? Um, hmm. So anyway, obviously, Akko has strong feelings, Marcy. What about you? No, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I, I very much. You're right. I mean, it's just, it's just such a nuanced situation because I think 
I mean, I can very much relate to a burn it all to the ground type of energy. Listen, listen, I can relate. But to your point, it's not that that comes without consequence. I think what's happening right now, and we'll see what pans out in the rest of mm-hmm. the book, but like, you know, Valeria, sort of the 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 the, the logic collectively right now seems to be like, okay, if we give them something to be scared of, they'll leave us the fuck alone. But what happens if they don't leave us the fuck alone? What mm. if they buck up against us? You know, like, I think that's the piece that isn't being discussed. Um, and maybe that'll be discussed more as we get into part three. I mean, this I mean, this literally was like how it ended. So I'm sure there's going to be more discussion. But <laughs> yes. to your point, I think there's, you know, it's not like you go from a space of just deep, like transphobic, cis sexist, like just fucking ideology to being like, yeah, out of fear, I'm just going to like not. Right. It's like, I mean, you also, it's like, the status quo is in your favor. You have so many, like, mm-hmm. I mean, literally you, you've set up the system such that like you, you have access to so many more things as a group. And so, I mean, the, the type of, I don't want to say backlash cause that makes it seem like, I don't know, like whatever, but like the type of retaliation that can result, it can also be devastating too. Yeah. And so I think there's very much a, I think Kamaya is kind of like, it's one of those things where, I don't know. It's just, it, it's, it's hard. It's like, what do we, it is hard. What do we what do we do here? And like and even if like we we do choose to go this route of being like, okay, we're just gonna take shit into our own hands, like, can we do that in a way that like, you know, can at least minimize the risk of retaliation mm-hmm. or at least make I don't know, like not make it so bad. Bad, you yeah. know? So here's yeah. a weird metaphor it's, it's that's gonna sound wild, but here we go anyway. The book The Outsiders, which is not about people of color or trans people or queer people at all, it's about white boys in the 60s it was written by a woman though so mm-hmm. there's there's that um but in the book you know there's greasers and there's i can't remember who the the rich people are squares triangles socias mm-hmm. socias there's socias and the greasers are poor and <laughs> the social this is kind of like um that one the sharks and the jets which is a bit more racially mm-hmm coded and like has an intersection of class and race but anyway there's a point in the outsiders mm-hmm. where the pony boy which is you know the main character's name he's like we're gonna fight it's a rumble <laughs> we're gonna get into a rumble with the- i don't know if we still call things rumble. not a rumble <laughs> there's even this <laughs> like, <laughs> not a rumble. there's even this really funny line where he says this other gang calls it like a bop or something like a bopping or something and he's like i can't take it seriously if we're gonna call fighting other people bopping or something. and i was like don't not you reading the other gang members anyway so Right. (laughs) (laughs) So he says this line and he's basically like, yeah, we fought them. But like my friend still died. It still died without any justice. And this other guy who was seen as such a bad person who really just has like tough circumstances. He ended up dying, too. And and there was no justice and nothing changed. And the socials are still rich and we're still not rich. And this Mm -hmm. fight was something, but it was nothing at the same time. And and it's that's that's that's. It's really funny that that somehow doesn't translate <laughs> across race, class, and gender lines, but whatever. But that's the point, right? It's the same point. Like, even if we win this mm. fight, the system keeps doing what it's doing. And that's a really hard thing to contend with. Right. Um, and I think that's also something that scares people. It scares us that we might not win a fight. And I think that's what scares a lot of people about femmes and women. And I think there's a fear mm-hmm. to be femme and to be woman because, and I'm using these differently, not not 
as a hierarchical way, but only to recognize people going through different struggles. So if you're a femme person and you're like, yes, this women aren't really here for me I, and I don't really identify with them, I don't want you to feel like I've lumped you in for the sake of an argument. And so that's the differentiation mm-hmm. it's an and not an above or below thing. But anyway, so the point I'm trying to make really, I as a cis person, I need to like make clear where I'm coming from else I could just be an asshole but anyway the point is (laughs) clearly um the point is that when you don't always want to fight you don't you the fear of sexual assault the fear of all these things that that has to be contended with and I think that scares the patriarchy it scares it most of all that Oh, so we want to write stories where everyone's a badass and all these girls who never let anything happen to them. And like, and then, but then it perpetuates this narrative that, that something, when it's something did happen, the person didn't do enough, Mm. but that's not true. We have to contend with the very real reality of the violence. That is what is so terrifying in the first place and that you might not win. And I, I, Soraya's part was so beautifully written in that regard and so tragic and so painful and so hurting for that very reason. And it's so true. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so, and so that, that's something, that's a point I wanted to make. It's, it is in fact true that this violence is real and there's, there's no other way around, around it. And especially in the U S mm-hmm. when there is so many types of violence. Um. Mm. And maybe if the patriarchy didn't think it could fight its way out of everything, <laughs> maybe we would be more cautious with people. Um, right. The other thing I wanted to talk about... And even just... Mm, yeah, oh, sorry. no, go ahead. And also, even just to acknowledge real quick that, I mean, even this idea of like, oh, well, like, I... Like, just finding a way through everything. It's like, I wouldn't have to fight if, like, motherfuckers didn't drive me. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, a fight wouldn't even... I wouldn't even have to defend myself. You only have to defend yourself if someone's like, trying to start some shit (laughs) like it's just like just don't start shit and literally no one has to defend no one has to fight like we could just not we could just not and and the thing is it kind of similar with birdie it gets to the point where hypervigilance becomes your default because you have to be hypervigilant you you have to think faster you know i'm a woman i've experienced people being the worst and I have this technique because I'm not the strongest person around, but I did realize really early in life that there's about three seconds between someone doing an action and them deciding, thinking about the action and doing the action. And I'm a runner. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so I run. That's my thing. Every time I always take advantage of the three seconds, but you know what you need to be able to take it. Does that always work? No, that's my whole point. You can be as fast and as smart and as strong as you want, and you might still not get out. But the, but and there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing. That's why I said the violence mm-hmm. is on the hands of the person who did it, not on anyone who wasn't able to get away. But the point is to even think that way, to take advantage of the three seconds, is to be hyper vigilant. And what does it mean to be that mm-hmm. vigilant all the time? Where can love live if you're that vigilant? That's not what societies mm-hmm. are for. Societies are for rest. So we have a place to rest in the wilderness of existence. If inside the walls are also dangerous, we don't have a society. Mm-hmm. We just have more wilderness. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, to Marcy's point, <laughs> simple. Um, Marcy, do you have other points? I feel like I've said a lot. <laughs> 
Um, honestly, not really. Um, I think I just, yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, obviously very curious to see like what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. Like I'm very much like, I, I, I'm to your point about charity, um, the protagonist's sister. I'm curious like what their relationship is going to look like throughout, um, and just, yeah, like what happens next? Cause I, I mean, obviously I want the best for everybody. I don't want more. Like it will be, it, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm nervous with what's going to happen next. Um, but also, in a way, I'm also really moved by, not in a way, just in general, I'm also moved by kind of like the community that's that they together have. in yeah. this moment and like in, in the ways in which, like, it's like even if you're like disagreeing on what to do next, it's like the foundation though is that like y'all are a community, that y'all are t- with each other, that you all you know, I mean, when something happens to one of us, it happens to all of us mm-hmm. type of thing, right? And so it's just like, I think there's a, that that piece is is really, really special. So I'm just curious to see what's going to what's gonna happen next. But I mean, there were no other major, like other things I want yeah. to say, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, what about you? Yeah. I, I want them to not be sad at the end. <laughs> I want them to win and and mm-hmm. I don't know what winning looks like or what that means, but I want them to win. Um Yeah. What was I gonna say? I worry I worry about the concept of martyrs. I worry about the origin of the Street of Miracles mm. because it's beautiful, the story, but it's also tragic because it's it's someone died and the idea or they were murdered and the idea is that their mm. love and beauty and existence created the street but i don't know if i like that that is the case i don't know if i, I it reminds me of mlk it reminds me of all martyrs mm. I, I worry about the idea of martyrs and i think in that same way i worry about kamaya who who gives mm. a lot and I wonder how much she gets. And it's not lost yeah. on me that in groups of people, this tends to fall on the shoulders of the black people. And I, I guess I wanted for Kamaya to have a Kamaya. And I wonder why that mm. wasn't the case. And I mm. wonder why it's usually not the case for black girls. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's my final thought. Uh, if you had final thoughts, you can go to Twitter and add us at these color pages or Instagram at these color pages or email these color pages at gmail.com. I'm just a little skeptical because we never use our social media, but we will. If we see a message from you, one day we will open we, it, you know. <laughs> Yeah, we'll be mm. like, hmm. We have a website, thesecolorpages.com. <laughs> <laughs> I love how we made no commitment to doing better on our social media. We were right, like, like, you were just like, oh, yeah, that's a that's the truth. And it's a true thing. It's like, so y'all just, y- y'all just committed yourselves to mediocrity. <laughs> and we're like, yes. Yes. Co- mm, correct. Yes. You, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've changed 0%. But you know what? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Correct. Marcy, your thoughts? <laughs> yes um no i i will say i the piece you said about kamaya just now i i let's i want to i want to put a pin in that and and make sure we talk about that more in depth because i think i want to see how this pans out and yes we, we we should keep discussing that piece but for 
our listeners, if this if this episode brought you any love, light, delight, mm, yes, because this is what poetry. <laughs> Feel free to send this episode, or sorry, feel free, I'm forgetting my own damn outro, <laughs> feel free to leave us some love wherever you're listening to this podcast. So that could be a comment, a rating, a review. We love a review, rating moments, um, could be on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Ooh. I think actually lets you rate podcasts now. So, you know, we want to just li- just click the little star icon. I mean, I know you listening right now. You literally <laughs> listening right now. Just press that, go ahead, just press that screen, just unlock the screen real quick, just press that five stars. Thank you very much. We really deeply appreciate it. And if you know someone in your life where you're like, you know what you need in your life? This mm. like just really fucking amazing memoir, these really interesting and very timely and urgent conversations around like, what do we do in the face of just senseless Ooh. systemic violence? Like, how do we actually move forward? Um, you know, send them that episode. And, you know, don't don't throw your phone mm. into a river. Do not throw your phone into a volcano. <laughs> Maybe just sit down and... Talk about some, I don't know, black liberation philosophy or something like that that with this friend. I feel like that could be like a good Mm -hmm. next step, you know? Yeah. And then maybe the next day, then then if you want to throw your phone, (laughs) like instead of using a bowling ball at the bowling alley, just use your phone instead. Do that maybe (laughs) then, but like maybe have a conversation first because all of that is really going to help our community to grow. The same community that we are not using social media with. Yeah. So that one, we're going to really going to help it grow. Um, Everyone's like, my God. And I'm like, yes, correct. Anyway, so next time we'll be getting into part two of Fierce Femmes and Notorious Liars. But between now and then, are there any other things we should leave our listeners with before we head out? <laughs> I'm just seeing a phone skid across like the aisle. Of <laughs> and everyone's like, why? And they're like, Marcy told me to do it. I had no other options. <laughs> like, <laughs> But suddenly across the way, you see someone else also throwing a phone and you make eye contact for a moment. Knowing that it's like, wait, Color Pages Book Club? And they're like, wait, what? Right. And everyone's like, I've never heard of this shit in my life. Like, this has to be a cult. And then there's like a um, third person so... who just did their phone, but like has no idea what the reference is. <laughs> like, they just did it to be cool. And it's like, wait, so you listen to? And they're like, no. no. And it's like, well, so you're just a poser? Like, honestly? <laughs> um, yikes. How embarrassing. <laughs> the answer is yes. Anyways, until we... I have nothing else to add <laughs> except for the antidote. But until we meet again... <laughs> Just remember to stay colorful.